and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is Irreverent, Faith and Current Affairs. Welcome everyone to Irreverent. It's me, Jamie Franklin, with Tom Pelham and Daniel French today. We promised we won't abandon you today, Jamie. Well, you say you won't, but then what what might happen? It was quite a unique episode last week, wasn't it? Because it started with the three of us and then it gradually reduced to just me. Um, so it was it's sort of exciting. There was a sort of dramatic... You could um, have ended it with just a, a chair rotating. Yes, with no, with no one there. That would have been that would have been a, a fine piece of uh, avant-garde oh, podcasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, well, maybe, maybe, maybe we could we, we could invent it, couldn't we? So, how how are you guys doing? Is it it's horrible here? I have to say, in, in Winchester, the weather is dreadful. But I, I'm feeling I'm feeling happy. But how how are you guys? Yeah, the weather's not great here either, Jamie. But we're not supposed to talk about the weather. I thought that was banned. Yeah, it's, I know that is, it is banned, isn't it? It's such it's such a it's such a cliche. You know, tell um, tell the, tell the listeners something concise and interesting. Uh, the wrong person really Jay, uh, Daniel okay. <laughs> I, I went to see oh, oh, the, both counts yeah <laughs> I, I took my daughter who's a A-level drama student to go and see Jesus Christ Superstar All opening right. night at Plymouth which okay. uh, you know I, I think she expected she'd never heard of it before um, she didn't know any of the music I, th- I think her expectation was something you know Sandals and Life of Brian type sort of thing yeah uh, and it, it was sort of you know rock musical and the, the, the cast were all dressed in kind of um street gang stuff you know it's very kind of contemporary um yeah and she we uh, i mean we both really enjoyed it i always find with that that particular um script the ending is disappointing to say mm-hmm. the least but, what, um, what happens yeah, in the end, Daniel? Can you tell us? Nothing. There's the crucifixion. And then in the movie, they all go off on a bus and leave him on the cross. Mm. Okay. Um, but um, the, the ending is just very flat. I, I, I don't know why, really, what the big deal is about that. So I don't think on God's, God's spell, the, the sort of equivalent uh, musical, there is that same collapse at the end but you know it, it was very well done obviously it's uh well, presumably uh, <laughs> they're they're refusing to to show the resurrection you know yes yeah. and, and that's why it feels flat of course if if, if if christianity had ended at crucifixion the disciples of jesus sat morosely in the upper room and then nothing else would have happened yeah it's yeah, yeah it's a good theological point there isn't it? it's like one corinthians one corinthians 15 you know if christ is not risen then our faith is in vain and we're of all people to be most pitied. It's good. I, I suppose to be fair to the writers and the play or the musical, uh, it does not say that there is no resurrection. Mm. Um, yeah, it's one of those but, things that yeah, needs it, it kind of needs yeah, affirming though, doesn't it? I think. Yeah. And, I, and I could hear some people behind me at the end saying, "Is that it?" <laughs> is that that, it? that's kind of pi- 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 python-esque isn't it there's, there's <laughs> your event there's your missional opportunity that's the moment you sit around and say no and no that's church. not it and <laughs> yeah, if you want to it. hear more yes listen to irreverent listen Act. to the irreverent podcast yeah Act. i, I, I do and I loads of little calling cards can I? that's what we need business do you, cards do you, do you, i've got i've got business cards have you not got any 
I've got mean, a, a, only a few. I've yeah. got to, I've got to send you some because I've got loads. Yeah. I've got loads. I, yeah. I could have um, yeah. dropped them randomly. No, not around. not not your personal business cards. Oh, the the reverend, oh, the reverend oh. business cards. Get with the program. Tom. Honestly, honestly, I actually I went to um, QZ House this week and it was a it was a great opportunity to give a load of business cards out, but I forgot to put any in my wallet, which is a shame. But I have actually sent somebody there uh, a big packet full of them, so hopefully they'll because that's like I think that's the kind of those are the kind of people who listen to us. Godly. <laughs> God, the Anglo-Catholics. They'd love it. They'd absolutely love this. They'd be lapping it up. In fact, if there is anyone from Pusey House listening to this for the first time, then you know, uh, welcome because uh, mm. you're our you're our target you're our target audience. Um, alongside extreme Protestants, of course. Welcome. A- alongside uh, Zwinglian memorialists. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, before everything we... in between. Um... <laughs> This is a constant well, temptation, isn't it? When we first started, it was just three people in Sweden, wasn't it? Listening. Yeah, Kevin, and and here. and my and my mother, um, <laughs> your mother yeah. who still who still still listens. Of course she does. Yeah, of course she does. Yeah, she's very proud of me. Uh, like, let's let's move on to some notices now. Um, I just wanted to say uh, thank you very much for people who leave messages on buy me a coffee and give us uh, virtual coffees. Um, that's is very kind of you. Uh, so I just read a few of these messages out. Thank you for your thoughtful and considerate. Uh, Christian perspective. That was from someone choosing to remain anonymous. Another someone said, I listened to Jamie's Rev Jamie's uh, monologue on the please do not do this episode. Angry Jamie is the best Jamie. Well, you know, what can I say? Uh, uh, I've, uh, sometimes sometimes I go a bit too far in my, my ranting. Uh, I have done this week, in fact, um, but I appreciate that. Uh, Daniel from Oxford said, I was baptized in the C of E, but completed my first Holy Communion and confirmation in the Roman Catholic Church this Easter. I very much appreciate your orthodox perspective, which is always presented in a respectful ecumenical fashion. Wow, do you hear that? Particularly when Tom isn't there. (laughs) Particularly when Tom is not on the the podcast. Some of the Catholic podcasts I listen to can focus too much on why Protestantism is wrong. But the truth is the apostolic churches have much more in common than not, at least that at least where the orthodox line is held to keep yeah, going I interesting agree. ecumenical mm. ecumenical perspective there i like it i agree yeah anything, yeah, from, I am anything from um gavin ashenden this week oh goodness gavin, gavin uh, ashenden gavin, brought, gavin, gavin, ashenden, ashenden. <laughs> gavin ashenden brought us 600 coffees and said <laughs> chaps i've seen state. the light i've <laughs> seen the light i'm converting back to anglicanism as a result of the uh, irreverent uh, podcast allegedly um do you know what um he's been on twitter isn't he but he's always on twitter with these massive anti-protestant rants and it's like you know uh, gavin get your own house in order first i mean you know uh all right we're just just uh, yeah let's let's uh yeah let's keep the ecumenical vibes going shall we yeah we love we love we love all our orthodox um roman catholic and orthodox and and free church brothers and sisters Of course. One one other thing, just about the church find. We are a so, broad church. In that respect, indeed, indeed, everyone's everyone's welcome. Um, living the ecumenical dream. We, it's it's easy when you're doing a podcast. I mean, well, I say it's easy. It's easier than doing it in real life, but there's still challenges. Anyway, um, irreverentpod.com. Uh, click on the church finder and you can if you're looking for a church to go to we've got lots of churches that listeners have recommended on our map and you can recommend them as well i've just spent um an hour or so updating them um if you do recommend a church please do put a website on um on the form because people if, you, if there's no way of people actually 
finding any more information, even if there's an address on there, it's very difficult because people don't know what the service times are or anything like that. So please do leave a, a website and fill in all the boxes. They're there for a reason. I mean, it's carefully, you know, the whole thing is carefully calibrated. But if you do have a church recommended, you please put it on there. It does take me a while sometimes to put them up because, you know, frankly, it's quite time consuming and they're you know, there's lots to do in life, but um, that map is up. There's lots of churches on there now. It's probably hundreds of churches on there. Mm. Um, and oh yeah, I was going to read this out um, from Rebecca. Dear Revs, I'm emailing to you from a train in Melbourne. Melbourne? That's in Australia, for goodness sake. Making the journey back home after my first visit to a church service at a church that I found via your Find a Church resource. Resource resource uh, it took a train and a tram to get to this church but it was worth the journey and had a wonderful first experience the vicar's sermon was clear and strong great comfort he and the congregation were so welcoming i was invited to the church hall after it's for a coffee and a chat i felt at home i thank you for all you continue to do every week on your podcast with kind regards so that's uh that's great and um if anyone else by the way finds that resource helpful please do let us know because it's you know it's it's really Ooh. encouraging to hear that to hear that kind of thing so that's great isn't it good good for rebecca um tom's disappeared i don't know where he's gone honestly i think i think tom's dropped out um so that's good isn't it daniel yes fantastic yeah um the um the podcast got a shout out on the telegraph on saturday yeah, really i only found out a couple of hours ago at church where uh, a couple of parishioners said to oh you're brave vicar you know and so tapped me on the shoulder and um start with we were talking at different purposes about the marks and spencers advert which I yeah. know we're cover. and i hadn't realized that it wasn't that they were seeing my post on social media but they were seeing me quoted on the daily telegraph's article on sat the saturday edition uh, which was majored on the um, Catherine Bilbersing's letter to Marks and Spencer. Right. Um, but then further down, um, yeah, it has... Um, uh, sorry, no, Irreverent doesn't get a... No, I've got it wrong. <laughs> Is, it just, just, Is just it just me, you? Is it just you? Just me, folks. Where's, where's the answer? I want to, I want to find it. But, uh, it says, Reverend Daniel French, an Anglican priest in Salkham, took aim at Marks and Spencer's slogan with the accompanying advert love this must not that must saying um looking forward to seeing how you de-christianize easter so, right. oh, nice. sorry i thought it was the podcast but all yeah, right okay well i've only just read it in the last sort of minute before the show started but, um, maybe if you can get tangential, on the, tangential if you can get on the telegraph somehow you can yeah. publicize if you can get on planet normal or something ha having a massive rant about marks and spencer yeah. you can talk about how you can find more of this sort of thing this more sort of robust muscular christian critique of the culture on irreverent faith and current oh, affairs irreverent. yeah yeah exactly well, david frost quoted me at christmas um i think it was the uh christmas eve edition yeah uh, and and definitely mentioned irreverent. Nice, 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 nice. Well, if anyone who's, you know, uh, a journalist or famous or has a massive podcast of their own wants to publicise the show, you know, please do. Um, you're you're very welcome. Don't feel shy. You know, just just publicise it. Um, right, let's do some Bible stuff, shall we? Uh, we're we're going to continue. We're just going to do a little bit of the Book of Acts. Now, Tom, you've been meditating deeply for for months upon the sermons in the Book of Acts, so you're going to you're going to provide amazing insight here. 
Um, so we're at Acts chapter 3, verse 11, 16. But first, we must say the Lord's Prayer. Um, now, shall I say it? Because, Tom, you're going to expound the scripture. And, Daniel, you're very good at doing the final prayer. So I'll do the Lord's Prayer. Um, so let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. There we are. Okay. So shall I shall I read or? You read, Jimmy. You read. It's a lot of me at the moment. but um, Always is. Uh, well, <laughs> that's one of the main critiques of the show, by the way. Jamie talks too much and interrupts all the time. Um, Does he? Apparently, yes. Really? Uh, apparently, I do. Yeah, apparently. Uh, so Acts chapter 3, verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people. So, sorry, we should um, we should just give some <laughs> we should just give some context here. This is just after the lame beggar has been healed. So that's why he's clinging. That's who the he is. And that's why he's clinging. Tom, you've just gone like super loud. Your breathing is like, um, you know, like a sort of wind. It's like a mighty rushing wind. Is in it? My ear. Yeah. Are you sure yeah. it's my breathing? It's yeah, definitely. Sorry, okay, that's okay. Don't know why. Um, I think maybe supernatural manifestation. <laughs> it's, it's the Shekinah glory. Pretty awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Is that better? Is that better? Yeah, yeah, I think this is better. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Uh, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom he delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, he has, oh, sorry, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of all. So there we go. There is a bit more following, but we're gonna we're gonna leave it there. Do that. Yeah, leave it there. So I mean, this is the second big sermon in Acts, isn't it? And um, it's again given by Peter, the first one being Pentecost. Um, and uh, the um, uh, I, I think for me, the thing which uh, struck me about this sermon um, and about many of the others in Acts actually is is it sort of doesn't it's it's not it's not simple it's not it's not complicated it's not it doesn't it doesn't try and uh you know explain it in in hundreds of, of words it just it just says what's there isn't it mm. the god of abraham of isaac of jacob the god of our fathers um is the one who has done this and has done it through faith in his son jesus christ um and um and, and sort of obviously this is um great uh in, in this case it's applying to this um the man who's been lame from birth, I think it's 40 years or something, and he, and he goes on. Um, uh, but um, the uh, I, I think genuinely this can be applied to many things more, more broadly. So, um, you know, why has Irreverend been a success? Through faith in his name, which has made Irreverend a success in the name of Jesus Christ. Why has the church triumphed over the years? Through faith in his name. Why will the church always prevail because it will ha always have faith in its name. That's what makes the church the church. Um, and so, you know, uh, you know, standing here, um, uh, sitting here, and we've got general synod going on and all that sort of nonsense. Uh, and, and then, you know, it's, some of it's worrying and some of it isn't. But in, in the end, 
what's going to survive what's going to survive is faith in the name of christ and that will cause miracles to happen so i think that's um that's one thing which i so sort of take away from this in the end there's there's not you know in the end that's what's important faith mm. in the name of christ um and, and there's that uh, sort of straight up gospel isn't there um uh, christ who died who raised from the dead the witness statements are there um and uh the um and that sort of sense of continuity with the gospels again is there into the church and it's a continuity which we should try and maintain to this day that's why uh we are apostolic that's why that's what makes the church apostolic that continuity uh some might say in person i i personally prefer in in thought uh with the fathers of the church um uh and um yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about this. Um, I just like that, you know, why do you look so earnestly on, on Peter and uh, and John as though by their own power or holiness they've made this man to walk? There's a humility there, isn't there, which we, we should, as you know, um, again, applying this more, to, more generally to irreverent that we should be careful about, you know, do you think this is great because of us? No, it's great because of Christ Jesus and we have faith in his name. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah, great. In verse 16, right at the end, I was just checking the Greek word because uh, sometimes the word for health and salvation are interchangeable with sota, but it's not sota actually. It's um, holoclerion, which is soundness. Mm. Uh, That's another KJV, sound incidentally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Soundness. So that, that he has received a, a soundness, he's received the right story. Mm. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, we'd, we'd spoken already about um, in the previous, because I think it's a few weeks ago now when we did the previous section about how that unity of faith and healing, like the import, what's the important thing that's happened here uh, that he has faith? You know, the healing is secondary. Um, that's not kind of wanting to dismiss the p potentiality of healing uh, in, you know, in extraordinary ways, which I believe God still does. But um, it does mean that, um, that, you know, if Christ came to heal this world um, uh, of, of its physical ailments, then his ministry was rather restricted mm -hmm. and, and ended 2000 years ago. But he came to heal this world of, 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 of spiritual ailments first and foremost. And, and that's that that ministry continues to this day. Um, yeah, and, 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 and so does healing. But um, yeah. But there's kind of a connection, isn't there, between healing and, is. and salvation in the gospel? I mean, it's sometimes it's sort of slightly ambiguous sometimes as to what's going on there. But mm -hmm. I think that's what the thing that I find inter interesting about this passage is that by faith in his name, this is what has made him well. And that kind of thing about, you know, having faith in Christ, it's, we normally think about that in terms of being saved from sin and you know so on and so forth by grace you've been saved through faith and so on in in say the book of ephesians but here it's specifically linked with physical healing so that's quite interesting isn't it that we don't normally think about we don't normally use that kind of language around physical healing um you know but in this passage it's very very explicit so i don't know i don't really conclude i, I watched a couple that. days ago um the reluctant convert the most reluctant convert have, have you seen that it's the uh it's a it's a sort of monologue play that's been televised about the conversion of C.S. Lewis. All right. Okay. The gradual conversion. Uh, and, and clearly there's a lot of psychological stuff that he had to get over, um, including the grief, uh, uh, unresolved grief of the death of his mother, the First World War, and so on and so on. Um, a very difficult relationship with his father. Uh, and um, 
uh, there's this wonderful bit towards the end where, uh, and you know, spo- sorry, spoiler alert, but um, he's, he's walking down the woods through, with um, Tolkien, has that conversation about myths mm. uh, and that the great myths have power over us and that Christianity is clearly a myth, but the difference is that it's the myth that is true. Mm. It's the one myth that is historical. Uh, and and those words, you know, kind of carry with him. And, and, and over the day, he's he, he's sort of literally physically tortured by this, uh, almost the point in the of of trying anything that night to, to avoid um, acknowledging Christ as saviour. Uh, you know, I'd rather rather get absolutely drunk than do that. But but he feels hounded by the presence of God. Uh, and this this great intellectual truth becomes a physical manifestation in in him, and then he receives this peace that passes all understanding. And, and I thought that they did. It's a 2021 film. Um, that I think during the the whole sort of COVID lockdowns, they never really got the kind of traction that it should have got. Yeah. And um, uh, we we thought it was appropriate to watch. Uh, as a family, because you know it's, it's the 60th year. We're approaching the 60th year of the death of C.S. Lewis, and um, uh, here this this came up on our feed. So yeah, we watched it, and um, uh, uh, healing's a deep thing, isn't it? In that mm. respect, yeah. um, me- mental, physical. Um, I think a true Orthodox understanding of salvation is 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 actually profoundly holistic. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that, that shouldn't be wishy-washy. Mm, yeah. C.S. Lewis died on the same day as JFK was assassinated. Mm. Do you know that? Yeah. And the first uh, episode of Doctor Who. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Ah. It was interesting enough because Ver- Verity Lambert, the producer, wanted to make the show something of a Narnia-like experience with an ah. old professor taking, you know, uh, companions through various bits of history and other worlds on a sort of science and history tour and she had c.s lewis very much in mind uh and the tardis is essentially the wardrobe that gets you from that um yeah um, yeah, so so, um yeah they had to reshow the pilot a week later because you know it it got almost no viewings because of what happened yeah, of course, um, of course. I, I find it fascinating, actually, if you look again at the, the Church of England websites, um, how little has been made of of the uh, anniversary of Lewis's passing. Is that oh, so what, surprising? I wonder why. I wonder why they don't want to promote C.S. Lewis. You know, he isn't. He isn't in the. Um, I've been. I've been reading in through. the lectionary. You know, yeah. he should be our primary. One of our primary sort of modern day saints. Is he not um, in the? Is he not a, a commemorated person? No, he's no, not. He's no. not a commemorated person. No. When you consider how obscure some of the people from the 20th century yeah. are in the lectionary, to have someone like yeah. C.S. Lewis not commemorated is pretty mm. extraordinary, isn't it? And it's it's very funny though because if you've got your um, exciting holiness book, which I'm sure you may have, um, with all the sort of um, so many saints, obscure saints, uh, sort of. Uh, have reams and reams of pages um, of material, yeah. uh, which is which is okay. I, mean, I don't really tend to use it um, anymore. But and, and then and then I, I'm always surprised when you get to Luther 
Um, it just says like go to the common of the saints. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, regardless of his contested heritage, like the Church of England uh, is um, re- relies on Luther. Uh, and yet they don't really oh, bother on, with Tom, anything. Don't, let's not start with this again, shall we? Um, <laughs> um, I've got, everything has to become. Everything that. comes I'm back sorry. to a, pro- a Protestant uh, polemic with you. I've been, I've been reading. <laughs> I've got this wonderful volume, which I've been. Re- I often uh, quote from. It's actually got a copy of the Great Divorce in, so I don't even need the version of the. Book yeah, can you, you give me my? No, copy just of the come Great here and I'll back, give it please. to you. Yeah, you can. You can. You can visit me here. In the Great Divorce, he has a bishop who refuses. Yeah, entry into the pearly gates because, because he denies the resurrection. Busy, because he's too busy doing a seminar denying yeah. the resurrection. Yeah. Well, he also he also oh, there's this really oh, funny touchy, touchy subject there. You know, there's a funny there's this really amusing moment where where the where the bishop um uh starts sort of contextualizing hell into a sort of heaven. It says, well, you know, it's a sort of heaven and a hell depending on what you make of it. I mean, I personally found it quite heavenly. Uh, <laughs> Found it quite stim- stimulating. Stimulating. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it the way that he departs with such a plumb. You know, it's like a sort of he he takes a sort of curtsy and uh, yeah. a solemn bow as he goes back to the bus to Greytown. It's very uh, it's very true to life, isn't it? That's the thing is you know people like this. You know you've seen this kind of thing, and you also the other thing is you see it in your own heart as well. You know, which I think is the most amazing thing about it. Chapter, yeah, we should you, we should you wonder why. <laughs> It's not an exciting holiness. <laughs> so, yeah, that was something it I want is... to say. Exciting holiness or excruciating holiness, as some people call it, or even yeah. more extreme, oh, execrating, no. execrating <laughs> holiness. <laughs> I have to be careful because the, the former Bishop of Exeter, I think, edited it, but, yeah. Oh well, those are things other people say, not yeah. something I would say. Allegedly, allegedly, I, allegedly, people call it execrating holiness. I would, <laughs> I would never, awful. I would never call it that, or even use yeah. those words in conjunction with each other. Uh, chaps, we should move on to talk about some stories now. Um, let's yeah. let's discuss the Marks and Spencer's advert, uh, Christmas advert. Now, this is this is um, this is uh, courted widespread controversy, and um, I think if we were to try and summarise it, it's basically a kind of collage of people who are ostensibly celebrating Christmas in traditional ways, you know, with family, with charades, with I think like the sort of making of an elaborate cake. And it all seems fairly straightforward, doesn't it? But then sort of about halfway through it, they all start to sort of rebel against this kind of traditional Christmas scene and start smashing things up and it all becomes like chaotic. And um, they're sort of reject, you know, the idea is they're sort of rejecting the Christmas kind of imagery and, and traditional activities. And that sort of ends with a sort of, I mean, what does it actually say at the end? It says something like, you know, celebrate Christmas in the way that you want to or, or the way you feel or. Do you know this must? It calls it this must. Oh, this must. Yeah. yeah. This must. It's like it's the perfect sort of postmodern advert for Christmas, isn't it? Like, you know, strip strip Christmas of literally everything. I mean, even not, not the even, even the secular. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and just, just make it into, uh, I mean, you know. Yeah, um, love love this must, not that must. Sorry, I just I just found that. Sorry, carry on. Um, you know, you know so, so, I mean, it's long since the, the Christmas adverts for these people uh, tended to have any sort of religious theme to it, but at least they had sort of, I guess, positive things you might say about family or about love or about hope or at least, or even about kind of just jolliness uh and um and it's just stripped all of that out into a sort of nihilistic um kind of uh destructive um advert um <laughs> where, yeah. where everything boils down yeah. to well, you know well, i think therefore a, i am here's the thing tom yeah if you think of marks and spencers it is a 
a brand that will always be small c conservative you know and it, it'll aim at people um older generations more conservative tastes as much as i suspect the board probably hate their own their own brand and would love it to be <laughs> you know young trendy and fluffy uh it's not and it never will be they've tried that uh and it looks when they've tried that they've lost even more people you know we're <laughs> I feel like I've heard this somewhere before. There's a parallel somewhere, <laughs> isn't it? There's an ecclesiastical parallel. Oh, there's a political parallel mm, to that. Yeah. Of um, uh, those in the engine room of our great institutions not actually liking the people that they're called to serve, yeah. wishing that they had a completely different constituency. Uh-huh. And, um, you know. And trying what, and failing what, to appeal to that constituency. What, what yeah, sort of never... idiot committee in Marks and Spencer's <laughs> thought we're going to really excite our, our membership, uh, our loyal custom base, uh, by, by doing this advert? Yeah. yeah. It's completely the opposite to, <laughs> to that sort of small C conservative shopper. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my daughter and I have this joke about the marks and spencer's cafe being the most uncool place on the planet yeah of course it is of course it is yeah uh, if i pass it by i sort of tease her by saying oh fancy cup of tea (laughs) no dad no 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 and and so now you know if i if i'm in plymouth and i see the marks and spencer cafe i'll I'll torment her by taking pictures of it and sort of what's (laughs) happening to her and um and saying that you know dad on his way to doing it doing a self doing a selfie in front of it yeah, yeah uh, this um, this is um, this is twitter yeah. at its best i mean it really is we've got um this there's so many critical comments my favorite one was this guy craig sutcliffe said absolutely disgraceful as if the world isn't already messed up and some poor like you know teenage intern on the marks and spencer's um twitter account said we're sorry you feel this way sad face this year's ad is about recognizing that we all have different christmases and reminding people that it doesn't matter how you celebrate just do what makes you happy and then there's a little smiley face with all love hearts it's got 1600 critical comments in response and they're burning shredding and hitting traditional just go through those and and put posts to irreverent yeah that, that, if, if we had a, if we, comments, if, if you're we had, really angry about this, then if we had an intern, we, we could do it. Burning, shredding, and hitting traditional Christmas decorations well, isn't Daniel, about celebrating. Yeah, you put him on it, Daniel. Isn't about celebrating other forms of Christmas. It's about showing your hatred of traditional Christmas, regardless of how many smileys you add. And then he's added a few smileys. That's quite. Darren Grimes, as you called this so terribly wrong, Christmas with its timeless traditions and emphasis on togetherness stands as a stark rebuttal to the modern day mantra of just do what makes you happy, reminding us that real joy springs from shared experiences and not just fleeting self-indulgent pursuits. Very Mm -hmm. good. Very good I mean, cl- clearly the intern has never watched even the Muppet Christmas Carol. Mm. <laughs> well, it's, it's all very <laughs> scroogey, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, on that level where they just don't have any um, access to what the story is about. Yeah, yeah it's, an odd, it's an odd one. Is there some kind of globalist aspect to this? Someone someone has said that this is ESG nonsense. I, I, I don't really understand why what that was the case. ESG? 
that's um oh, what's it stand for it's 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 basically that sort of stakeholder capitalism thing isn't it which is about you know adding sort of um companies not just selling products but sort of adding value to society by promoting um social causes i forget actually what esg stands for let me just look it up mm-hmm. um ESG, environmental social and government governance okay but i don't really know why that would be the case because this is just this is just promoting kind of individualistic nihilism isn't it yeah Maybe. But, i think it might promote bloat witches yeah yeah there's exactly. one bit where somebody's did, did you hear about the palestinian objection to this Oh, oh! Because it's got the 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 Christmas hats burning in the fire, and they're the colours of the Palestinian flag. It's not even the advert, though, is it? It's, it's an off take. It's, it's, it's a um, uh, yeah, some sort of um, cut, isn't it? Is it? Oh, I don't know. I did I did hear about that though. But yeah, it's, it's in the order of the Palestinian flag. But of course, the, the, it was it was filmed in August, so I mean that's a little bit um, <laughs> unlikely, isn't it? Uh, it's it does. Kind of it, that... Yeah, it does seem so, doesn't it? Red, green, um, and white are just common Christmas hat colours. Yeah. You can. There are so yeah. many. There are literally ten thousand comments, and all of them. I don't see a single positive one saying that they like the advert. They've really got this wrong. Um, number of people have said that they prefer. Well, the, have they? The, I mean, you the, know, any publicity and all that. But anyway. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, um, the Aldi Christmas advert, which is called Kevin in the Christmas Factory, and it has Jim Broadbent narrating a, a sort of more traditional. Um, Christmas character scene with you know what the, you know sort of claymation type characters. I watched it earlier. I found it so uninteresting. I couldn't really watch it um, all the way through. But even so, it did seem to be a bit more traditional. But I don't know. It's a, it's a strange. None one, of isn't them it? traditional, of course. They're, they're, I mean, the, this is the one thing. Like, let's not get too caught up about this. Uh, whether it's Mark Spencer's nihilistic take on Christmas, or whether it's uh, Aldi's sort of sweetly cloying. Uh, kind of toys, Christmas. They're, they're all um, avoiding the real truth about Christmas, which yeah. is you know, that we celebrate the uh, nativity of our Lord. Um, yes, but uh, the blessed uh, perpetual virginity of Our Lady and the birth. You don't of... even believe that. You don't even believe that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know and, that. And the birth of our Lord Jesus, um, the immaculate conception. Um, uh, sorry, let's. I'm um, just no, joking. My, um, my son was born on the Immaculate Conception. So on the day of the Immaculate Conception, that, that wow. really, that really pleased my. Um, what, what day Catholic, is it? My Catholic father-in-law. He's it truly really pleased me actually as well. He's truly Eighth blessed. Eighth of December. Okay. Is that is that the date? Yeah, because that's Mary, isn't it? That's the that's when Mary. That's when Mary was conceived. I think, the, doesn't the prayer book call it the conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary rather than the Immaculate Conception? Yeah, it yeah, would. Well, almost it wouldn't, certainly, it would call it as a lesser feast. Is that is it actually in the prayer book? I I'm, I think it might not be in the prayer book. I think it might be in the in exciting holiness, but not in, in excreting 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 holiness. Yeah, sorry, go on, Tom. You have something else? Yeah, to go. Know? Uh, no, no, just 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 to say that. Yeah, I mean, I, they're they're all missing the the point and the, and and the you know christmas is is no more about nice family time than it is about you know nihilistic destruction of everything it's actually about um coming around in awe around the the the, the sort of um the the manger and and worshiping god mm. um and everything else follows from that um but not not destroying christmas decorations and you know no that kind of thing. Although, Although, I, I mean, yeah. I can, I can definitely see why she smacked that elf thing off the roof. I mean, I'd do the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, was it one of the charades? Can't stand charades. 
don't make uh, me play charades. But they look like they were having fun when they were playing charades. They, and they, 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 no well, that's the thing. Is, 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 I'm watching it and they're having, a, they're having a great laugh and then suddenly she just rejects it. Or she says, I hate charades. I hate other people. I hate being well, maybe, with, with other human maybe beings. Maybe she's come to see the light then because charades is awful. It, anyway. it, it, it's really, it's really <laughs> yeah, promoting. It, it, it's a funny thing that, that um, I, I think up till about the 80s when it was... Um, it seemed to go into some overdrive in, in terms of commercialization of Christmas. And I can remember that kind of lever point was particularly, I mean, I, I put it in sort of mid 80s, round about actually the time EastEnders first came out as a soap. Mm. Uh, and they had their Christmas, they had this tradition. Oh, yeah. Of, yeah. You know, the, the terrible EastEnders Christmas edition. Yeah. Which was, you know, if you weren't suicidal beforehand at the end of it, you certainly were. Yeah, yeah. The first one, I think, you know, where uh, Dirty Den, um, who's the the landlord for the pub, uh, is strangling his uh, his wife Ange uh, because she's faked her uh, a cancer story, uh, and it was, I think, it was sort of, it was one of those times where you you could see, oh. There's a different there's a different take on Christmas coming here, you know, when yeah. people are um, uh, are actually beginning to articulate the scripts articulate. A lot of people don't have this perfect Christmas, um, but of course, EastEnders doesn't sort of then push you to say, well, actually, the the truer, deeper Christmas is in is in the Christmas story yeah. rather than. The, the perfect gathering that we're trying to do a sort of thanksgiving meal where we, we really all hate each other but we're just going through the process you know, yeah and, uh, and family sores and divisions all sort of blow up yeah now, that's the first time i remember a really big negative christmas tv thing yeah was, there's, the, a, um, there's a great Christmas episode of Peep Show. I don't know whether you've ever watched that, where uh, Mark's, I think it's Mark's family come over. It's absolutely hilarious. It's very rude, though. Very rude, just so everyone knows. And, of course, Downton Abbey Christmas specials are amazing. So, uh, you know, that's worth checking out as well. If you don't watch Downton Abbey, you should, because it's just it's just, it's just, just a wonderful world. Um, chaps, we should move on to the next story, which is about the ARC Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, the ARC conference, uh, ARC stands for Alliance Res- uh, for Responsible S- Citizenship. Is that right? Um, it's a very, very bad name, in my opinion. Um, it's very, Do you think very... they're doing a play on Noah on that? I, I, maybe. I've I mean... seen various sort of retweets of keeping the ARC afloat. You know, I'm yeah. going to build my ARC. This, uh, ARC. This... A-R-K. This is definitely yeah. a pun here, isn't it? From the, the the article you've put in there from the European Conservative, which is building a seaworthy ark. That's that's so um, yeah. that's Rodrea. Uh, that's Rodrea's article yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether it's intentional. But in any way, I, I just thought it was a really, really boring name. And in some ways, I think the name actually. Um, encapsulates maybe what the problem is so just to tell people in case they don't know it's a conference which is organized by um jordan peterson and philippa stroud and i think james Orr had a hand in it like he has a hand in seemingly everything on the planet um interestingly actually you know i used to be in new frontiers for many many years um 
Philippa Stroud's husband, David Stroud, was, a, was at least, he, he probably still is, like a major player in, in New Frontiers. So it's funny like to see her kind of popping up. And she actually sort of looks like him. You know, sometimes a husband and wife sort of look like each other and have the same mannerisms and the same sort of voice. She's a bit like that. Uh, so it's kind of funny to see her sort of popping up in this con- context. But yeah, Philippa Stroud, um, Peterson, James, all people like that. Um, and what they're trying to do this is kind of the problem is 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 it's kind of hard to almost say what they're trying to do but they're trying to sort of promote you know or at least sort of think about how you might tell a better story to the kind of sort of nihilistic stories that are promoted in western modernity particularly i think the kind of woke neo-marxist thing you know what what story can we tell to 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 other people i suppose particularly young people and the upcoming generations that will sort of unite us and help us to move forward and help us to sort of form an anti-woke coalition and so on and so forth so i think that's why the title is so sort of banal in some ways because it can't really say very much more can it? it's just say we need something which is more responsible um and we need to be in alliance like together even if we don't really agree on absolutely everything um so let's call it the alliance for responsible citizenship um so i don't know i guess that's kind of where where i start from but it, it does know, I, seem to... i thought it was you know I get what you're saying, and I think there is a, clearly a problem. And I saw that at NatCon as well. You know, yeah. actually, what people want to talk about is religion mm. or, or the metaphysics. They want to kind of go higher up the cultural war to the spiritual war. Uh, and you know, the constituency at NatCon clearly there was an atmosphere to do that. Um, Interesting. And then there were silly people like Michael Cove who were sort of poo-pooing that. Um, yeah. So I, I felt this was. But there was an element of that being repeated once again. Though interestingly enough, on the the post conference talk that evening in the same venue, with I think it had Douglas Murray, Jonathan Pajot, Jordan Peterson, and a couple others in a sort of panel discussion. And when Pajot, who is this you know, sort of semi famous icon writer from America who's befriended Jordan Peterson and runs the Symbolic World podcast. Uh, He got up and gave a talk where halfway through he said, out of interest, raise your hand if you are a person of faith. Now, there were 12,000 people in the O2. uh, And um, people sitting right at the back said they couldn't see a hand that wasn't up. Mm. Uh, And, you know, clearly that in a way betrayed what the conference wanted to talk about <laughs> was was the things of God rather than the, the city of man. But um, I, I think that's going to take quite a lot of nudging to get people to have the confidence to be able to talk about that. You know, I mean, clearly Jordan Peterson has, I think when he's done his best, it's been when he's been doing these bible series and exodus and that you know that's when people are really leaning in because this is new juicy stuff whereas um, the kind of more bog standard psychological stuff woke anti-woke stuff is fine but you know we've all heard it and it strikes me that 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 there's a slight allergy in, in some of these movements to go to go full throttle well, yeah, that but that allergy is, is embodied in Peterson himself, isn't it? Because exactly. he he's never actually exactly. clear 
and and sometimes he sounds like he sounds a bit more Christian. Other times he sounds like a kind of secular humanist. Sometimes he sounds like a kind of perennial a perennialist, like he sort of thinks all religions are sort of leading towards this sort of axiomat- axiomatic center or something like that. Um, and that's actually can I can we just listen to part of this because there's a kind of recap on on YouTube. So you know it's only a few minutes long, but it's sort of in many ways it sort of completely nails this. So so have have a listen to this. There was once a day in Western nations where we took seriously the extraordinary value of every single human being. The eternal message that's at the foundation of Western civilization is that we are each a divine locus of value. We each have a cardinal and irreplaceable role to play in the destiny of the world. But as we have become separated from the source of why man is infinitely valuable, we've seen an unraveling of the pillars on which our societies are built. We live in an age of cronyism. US corporations... Yeah, then it starts talking about crony capitalism and things like that, kind of weirdly. But I think that sort of... that in That in itself actually demonstrates the sort of sort of bricolage of different concerns that are being brought forward here. But I just thought it was interesting. You had those two those two utterances by Philippa Stroud. And then in the middle of it, you have Peterson saying, you know, there's a sort of, what did he say? There's a kind of locus. Divine, of, divine locus yeah. of, of value. And we we have a part to play in, we each have a sort of really important part to play in building the future of our civilization or something like that. Whereas yeah. what Philippa Stroud was saying was, um, she was she didn't use the word christianity but she was clearly saying that the idea you know of the the dignity of mankind is based is based upon our christian inheritance and that there's there's therefore going i mean she actually said she used a mixed metaphor didn't she She said an unraveling of the pillars of our society or something like that but essentially what she's saying is there's a you know as we depart from that we're losing the idea of the kind of divine image in, in humanity um so it's a that's a so, I don't know. It just, I just thought it was quite an interesting kind yeah, of. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's been criticised about the conference, and particularly Jordan Peterson's um, take on this, is what he's presenting is is a a sort of Pelagian version of Christianity. Mm. Uh, I mean, and don't get me wrong, I, I'm, I'm I'm a great fan, and I feel incredibly indebted to his work in in terms of. You know, he, he has been one of the nails in the coffin of new atheism uh, and has cl- clearly been a, a gateway drug to, to Christianity. Mm. Uh, but there is this sort of plaguing element that, that, that each of us can be our own hero in the story. Whereas I think the you know, New Testament Christianity presents Christ as the central hero and that we are reliant upon his amazing grace. Mm. So uh, I think a a replay of the Pelagian heresy, which has always been there, particularly, I think, in the the British Isles, because we are an island people, and and so the idea of being our own saviour. And Pelagius uh, came from Britain, of course, Daniel. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You can see how um, Augustine of Hippo... um, kind of wins the battle but loses the war in terms of we have this very strong Pelagian streak within us uh, and um, I, I think what we part of going further up 
into the spiritual war has to be this uh, recognition that uh, we we can only really go forward by our, our surrendering to him who was born at Bethlehem, yeah. uh, to uh, an opening to his grace, that otherwise everything will become unmanageable. You know, and, and this is the joke, you know, that people start looking at, at Jordan's YouTube coverage and saying, you know, how tidy is his room behind <laughs> behind mm. that chair? Uh, it, it can we can we embrace a, a philosophy which is all about getting your life completely in order? Well, that that's not necessarily where that's not necessarily the Christian starting or ending point, is it? Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Or is, is it is it is it semi Pelagian though, Daniel? That's 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 that's, that's Let's Tom's. Be fair to- yeah, that's that's Tom's that's Tom's little um, corrective in all of this all the time. It's always semi, isn't that right, Tom? A semi semi Pelagian, not fully. Not uh, explain full. to us semi Pelagian. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> um, it's a, it's a, I, we say by a combination of grace and works. That's a sem, yeah. semi Pelagian, isn't it? Yeah, be? yeah. So it's not fully the fake. So full Pelag- full on full fat Pelagianism would be. Um, you know, you want to baptize, you have within you the power to resist all sin. And so therefore that's what's expected of you in order to achieve salvation. Uh, it was effectively what he was arguing in his letters. Uh, and Augustine, of course, got very upset with this because it denies the the necessity of grace. Um, mm. And I guess uh, semi-Pelagianism would be, would be, yes, a sort of um, work and faith. Uh, um I guess non-Pelagian would still have to say something about works, but you'd you'd say something like uh, works are, are purely an outworking of faith and not something that earn you anything. Mm. I, I think with with Peter, in themselves, you, yeah. I think with Peter, you can actually see the sort of outworking of a type of Pelagianism in himself. You know, the way he mm. sort of clearly is exhausting himself. You know, try you know trying with all his might to kind of you know he talked. There was this phrase in this which was about tilting the world towards heaven or something like that. Which is extremely Pelagian when you when you think about it, tilting the world towards heaven. Like you think you've got the power to do that, so you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna try with all your might, and you're gonna come up but, against it, and it's gonna destroy you. Well, clearly, that's in the you end have of celebrity status. You might, to some degree, think or be duped into thinking that you could. Yeah, maybe and that you maybe. are. Yeah, uh, until King it all Canute. falls apart. Yeah. Yeah. It's the ancient, the ancient King Canute, isn't it? Um, the, the, um, I guess that that is the problem with his sort of um, his his famous books about sort of self help. You know, I can't remember what it's called. Um, tw- um, twelve, twelve rules for life. Yeah, twelve rules yeah. for life is that is that it's effectively a, a, a faith of works, isn't it? Believe in yourself. Hold, stand well, up straight. You know, tidy your room. Tidy your room. I don't know, all that sort of it, stuff. It depends. But, it depends on what you think is what you think the purpose of the books are, right? I mean, if it's just sage advice, then there's nothing wrong with that. But if if you think it's something more sort of salvific, then yeah, I agree. I, I suppose the, the 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 point is is that his readership have clearly been ignited in interest in faith, and so they've got to kind of look back and interpret his books and wonder. If what Tom's just said is where they're at, you know, if 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 in the end the conversation has to be a spiritual one rather mm. than an earthly one, uh, then um, you're, you're going to have that thought, aren't you? You're going to look back and interpret the Peterson work yeah. when, in, um, that, in that light. I was talking to um, 
uh, George Westhaver, the principal of Pewty House, about the um, you know the paralytic who's who's lying by the pool at Bethesda and he's trying to sort of get down to the water in order to uh, because this they've got this idea that the angel stirs the water up and and heals heals them and you know he's been there for years and years and he said he thinks that's a bit well he didn't quite say it that bluntly but he was sort of suggesting that people like Peterson and Scruton are sort of a bit like that you know that they're looking for a means of of healing and salvation but ultimately they need you know and they're, and they're doing it they're doing it with their kind of earthly means as it were with the earthly means that are available to them but ultimately they need a kind of supernatural interruption which is obviously uh, the healing that Christ brings um in the story but I, well, I the thing about Ark I, I thought and to be honest I haven't watched many of the I'd be interested to watch like apparently Bishop Barron's one was really good, for example. But the 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 idea is that you've got this um supernatural, sorry, not supernatural, this sort of this sort of um this attempt to give a non-supernatural answer to the question of, you know, the nihilism and the wokery and the neo-Marxism and everything like that. It's like, well, we need to construct a better story for ourselves. And I just think, well, you can't you can't construct a better story. The story, the alternative is Christianity. It's the Christian story. You're not going to construct a better story than that. So you know, you're just going to have to you're going to have to go with that one. And there's there's a very limited extent to which I feel like I can sort of partner with some even somebody like Jordan Peterson, because I just think he's I just think he's offering to people fundamentally something different to what I want to offer to them. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah very much so. I, um, I don't know if you've been listening to this surprising rebirth of belief in God with Justin Briley. I haven't really listened to it, but I've re- I read his book and I interviewed yeah. him on this on this podcast. So, yeah. um, because he's picking up on that a lot, just mm. in the I mean, it, they put out uh, was that there's a new episode that's come out yesterday. Um, thank God for Richard Dawkins. <laughs> mm. uh, it's very good, really well done, and um, I, I'd, I'd recommend people do listen to what's being said here because. Uh, it, it, it goes right to the heart of the the, the matter from the first, from the first episode, but um, cl- clearly, a, a lot of the, the new atheist enthusiasm uh, is is pretty much dissipated, uh, and people are returning to, for instance, a Christian understanding of philosophy and metaphysics. Apparently, academia uh, is now becoming very well represented mm. in, in terms of traditional philosophy in a way that it wasn't you know 10 years ago let alone a hundred years ago when the logical positivists um, uh, held court mm. um, you know so so a lot of that undergirding philosophical work is being done in the background by you know uh, converts to Christianity mm. um, so you know we have we have something to be um, hopeful for that the donkey work the intellectual donkey work that's being done i think to build up and to represent christianity as the story is uh uh is coming forward you know but um yeah i mean that's yeah justin is very sanguine about this um sort of thing i mean i'm not personally entirely convinced uh that the academy is um maybe looking as positive as as he says but um or indeed the culture but um he he is very he's very he's very optimistic about things which is which is great you know we need we need optimists for sure um anyway that's a bit about arc should we do should we do some twits on twitter uh now we haven't done that for a while and to be honest i mean it's always the same it's always the same people isn't it so 
here we go. This is uh, the uh, guess who? It's just stop oil. Um, this is on their own to it. They promote this themselves, of course. Uh, two supporters of Just Stop Oil smashed the uh, the Roke B Venus, um, and that uh, and this is a kind of this is a sort of homage to a suffragette uh, called Mary Richardson, um, uh, who also who slashed. It says it was slashed by her. I don't know what that means. Like was the art art itself slashed? Yeah, I think she took a knife to the to the actual. They didn't have sort of big thick glass in front of them in those days. That's why they put the glass on there, presumably to stop it happening again. Maybe anyway. So she slashed it, and then these guys have smashed it, as it were, but only the frame, not the actual thing itself. So should we hear their sort of some of their political philosophy? Mm-hmm. Speaking of the speaking of the nihilistic um, despair of our age, let's uh, let's have a little listen to this. That's the smashing. Uh, they're both wearing one. I mean, one of them is a very skinny bloke with a, a hat on. The other one's uh, a lady. Uh, they're both wearing their 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 jeans. Daniel, your gra- your grandparents would 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 be on a. They would be suspicious just seeing that. Uh, and they both got these sort of orange hammers and they smash this thing. And they really do look like they are. I don't know. They just <laughs> they just look like they're sort of devoid of their uh, animating spirit. Let's say anyway. So there we go. That's the original. That's the sort of fundamental claim here is that women didn't get the the vote by voting. They got the vote by slashing and smashing. And so it's about deeds now. We need to do more than vote. We need to smash things up. Well, I think the the point, one of the points is that the the suffragettes uh, struggled to get any sort of popular um even amongst women um support for their for their revisions yeah um, lots of women yeah. didn't want it did they but the majority of women didn't want the vote which i mean you know sounds silly now but um uh they, they didn't so i think that's what the um i think that's what the they're referring to there in what way in what sense was well, it as in they it's in the, the vote was given to them against their democratic will i guess but it's an interesting logic isn't it <laughs> <laughs> even though they didn't want it they were given it anyway um i mean this isn't the place to be like making a, a long argument against women having the vote but there was a sense in which a household was a more unified entity and that the husband was the kind of representative of that ha- household and, and and as the representative he was the one who as it were cast the vote um for the government and um, and many women saw it like that they didn't want that kind of responsibility there was there was actually a very good um podcast i listened to recently on uh, ger- germ warfare this woman, I forget her name, but she's written a book. Her last name is Wilson. I can't remember her first name. Uh, she's written a book called Occult Feminism, where she goes into quite a lot of this uh, this this history. And actually, she met, she actually makes the point that many of the suffragettes, in fact, all of the main ones, were in some way linked heavily with the occult. I mean, I suppose lots of people were in the early 20th century, but it's just quite interesting. Anyway, um, let's let's continue uh, with the argument here. Politics is failing us. Politics filled women in 1914. If millions will die due to new oil and gas licensing, millions. Hang on, hang Gosh, on. she's so intense. <laughs> millions. Yeah, sort of, Where's his accent? Is he Scottish? I um, think he's a, he's a scouser, isn't he? I think. He's a sc- okay, fair enough. Um, millions. Millions. Um, the 
so his logic is politics. So he's moved on from the suffragettes, haven't we? Or, or are they still talking about the suffrage? Politics failed. Did you say women in 1914? Yeah, yeah. Politics failed women then. It's failing women now. So yeah, that's that's the point. Yeah. Okay. So and that, so that's why we need to smash things, and and get people's attention. So it's it's an analogy. They're drawing an analogy between between the suffragette music movement and the just up oil movement. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, why why nineteen fourteen? Uh because that's when Mary Richardson slashed this um right, this, okay. but this I mean painting. I mean they are aware that it, four years later they they got the right to vote. Yeah, but they only did I, that presumably well the the argument here is that they only got the right to vote because they did all this illegal stuff and you know got people's attention, shook them out of their apathy, Tom. Right. Yeah? Okay, right. Anyway, let's hear that again because that's a good that's a it's good. It's also interesting when you watch this. I know I'm the only one watching it, but you're not actually clear whether there's anyone in the gallery because all you can see is the two people. So it's kind of, it, you're sort of wondering who they're shouting at. Due to new oil and gas licensing, millions! If we love history, if we love art, and if we love our families, we must just stop oil. That's an interesting one there, if I may comment. If we love art, we have to destroy it. It's interesting, isn't it? Kind of um, paradox. If we love culture, we love history, we have to destroy it in order to preserve it. Yeah. Uh, Go on, Tom. Are you going to say something? Sorry. I mean, where do they get this from? What these... No one. No one sensible says. I mean, millions of people. Who, who, who's claiming millions are going to die if we because of licensing in the in the North Sea? Who's claiming that? Where, they, where do they get this from? It's, it's not. It's not in the IPCC. It's not. You know. Um, and in, are, in any case, there are no we're, scholarly we're, citations below the video. Sadly, no. So it's, it's, just, it's just. It's just. Just mad. It's, it's just mad. It's, it's just complete madness. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. there's nothing as delicious, is there, as the permission to destroy things in the name of a good cause? Mm. Yeah, a, a number and, of. Um, I mean, I find the whole thing reprehensible, and um, I, I think I'd lose the plot really if I was in the same room because I think to, to actually, I'd love to see you take them down, about, Daniel. It'd be great yeah, if you know, just took them down. About, if you were there, I'd you take, took them out. Know, I would. I'd take them down. Honestly, <laughs> take them take, up. <laughs> because I think you know, art, and I know there's contentious art, but on the whole art and western art is so precious mm. and and um is often so under attack by everything else around which is monolithic and gray uh and you know to destroy art in the name of a political cause i just think it's so moronic quite quite frankly if i was the judge in this case and and that and if there was that there's going to be damage the glo- i i do you think I read that the the glass impact has impacted on the yeah, painting? Yeah. They've had to take it away, and they'll have to do some restoration. Work. Quite frankly, I'd give them a, a huge prison sentence for yeah. doing this. I agree. Um, with no, with I, I, I just think once you start to tear out art, you, you you're tearing at the soul of 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 who we are, mm. and you're you're just reprehensible and deluded, and you know. Maybe they don't need prison. Maybe they need some reprogramming center. Mm. 
de-radicalization it, it, it is like a cult though isn't it it's like it's very um, isis like isn't it it's that's what isis do is they they go around destroying western artifacts artifacts from western mm. civilization in order well, to go. hollow out the culture you know in order yeah, to there, attack there the go. culture you know, and, and in the same camp mm. yeah there is something very sort of deeply cult-like and religious about it um Let's finish. Let's let's listen to a little bit more of the of the rant. I might have gone back slightly. Sorry about this. If we love history, if we love art, and if we love our families, we must just stop oil. That's the end. That's the end. Then they both okay. sit down. Here's the theological problem with with the, with this. Is I suspect the majority. I suspect that the majority of people involved in this organisation are um, humanists, atheists, um, agnostics. Uh, Justin just Welby probably, but anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, he did, he did make a long a long video this week about um, climate change. I don't know whether you've seen it, but yeah. And, and if you were to sort of corner these these individuals and ask them, you know that that epistemological question of why why should we do this what what is the what is the reason for for saving the planet if, if there is this climate crisis that we should be alarmed at I, I think most of them beyond just saving the planet for the planet's sake would have no deeper reasoning mm. well this is you um know, it, it, Sort of slightly tangentially, there was a release by two Finnish academics, wasn't there? Um, sort of, it was written up on the Daily, Daily Skeptic, um, which uh, was basically just they 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 were calling for the the um, human race to uh, depopulate mm-hmm. and uh, to cease breeding and to just, just dwindle away and go in order to um, in order to save the earth. And I'm thinking, what do they think the earth is for? You know, and in the end, you know, there's there's no point in this earth if it isn't. You know, the Bible tells us that the earth was made uh, so that he, for humanity, you know, it was put in 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 a stewardship over it uh, in a sort of priestly way um, in order to know God. Like, there's yeah. no there's no there's no there's no sort of reason for the earth, and God will quite happily remake the whole thing in the end. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, this that, is that... where Ark. This is where Ark is is losing out isn't it in terms of its arguments that's why the arguments need to be fundamentally religious spiritual you know christian yeah um, the 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 humanist the christian humanist vision um just just to finesse what you said a little bit tom i don't think you would say it's just for humanity i think there's also a sense in which the the earth is a, a display of god's wisdom and his glory isn't it so that and that includes the creatures on the earth so that you yeah know, you, you look at like psalm 8 or psalm 104 or something like that it's about the order i think it's it's like when the order is reversed so in 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 psalm 8 you've got the angels above human beings and then you've got the beast of the field the fish of the sea below and what these people do is they basically say that we are on the same level as the animals. And in fact, we're worse than the animals because we're kind of like a plague, a pestilence on the planet. Mm-hmm. We're causing species to go extinct. We're ruining the environment because of our you know, carbon emissions or whatever. And therefore, what needs to happen is that the human plague needs to cease and be eradicated. I was actually writing, reading and writing about this this week. Um, John Gray, John Gray uses um, an environmentalist, I forget his name, 
but in um in straw dogs he quotes from him extensively and he talks about you know the the plague of humanity and how eventually like once we've got to a certain sort of malthusian level that the plague will reduce uh and we'll we'll go back to something like 1.8 billion humans on the planet and he calls that he refers to that something like our pre-plague population or something like that and, and there's actually a kind of you know there's a there's a sort of worked out critique an analogy between a plague or a, a cancer and and humanity's um position on the planet so it's a post it's a post-christian and post-humanist vision of the planet so uh, this is the article it's in Mercator. Mercato? Mercato? I don't know. Never heard of um, it. Um, it's, a, it's a magazine, Compass sure, for I'm Common good. Sense. Sure, it's um, great. Michael Cook writes, um, uh, he starts by quoting H.G. Wells' Time Traveller, of the uh, that sort of image of the of the world devoid of humanity. Um, yeah. Uh, and then and then points out that these, these two, Yuna Resinen, I don't know how to speak Finnish, uh, Matti Heiri, um, believe that it's arguably morally wrong to have children. If there were no children, suffering would disappear in a few generations. Uh, they say uh, severe problems such as climate change would find a resolution if humans cease to exist, thus eliminating environmental destruction. Uh, um, it, it appears clear that numerous problems plaguing humanity, such as wars, famine, crime, discrimination, discrimination, and cruel treatment of animals, <laughs> to name a few, would vanish if humans would not exist. So, if there were uh, no humans to be discriminated against, then there would be no discrimination. Well, exactly. And I suppose yeah. that is true, technically speaking. It's a, sort of, I think this is the point of sort of anti-discrimination lecture. Uh, anyway, um, uh, that's like saying there'd be no there'd be no murder if we murdered everyone. I mean, yeah, um, or... no, no doubt. He writes, Rassanen and Harry, a barrel of laughs at the pub and karaoke champs in a university common room. But even in an ac academic journal, their misanthropy is confronting. They seem breathlessly eager to pop the balloon of a land vital. To use the technical jargon, life sucks. This is what they say. Life, thus, bears a resemblance to a pyramid scheme where new participants work for the well-being of the previous victims of the scheme, creating a vicious circle where new people must be recruited, i.e. born, to benefit those already within the system. This game only exists as long as new players join and the scheme ultimately ends badly for the latecomers because it's not possible to recruit new members indefinitely. Nevertheless... Oh, there isn't I'm a final... confused by all those shapes there. I didn't. It's a pyramid oh, yeah. and it's a circle. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry, but, sorry, yeah. sorry, Tom. Coming uh, to a secondary school curriculum near you. I know quite. I mean, this is uh, <laughs> but this is this is just sad. It's quite sad, isn't it? The people who actually think think of think of humankind as, as children as sort of just recruiting them into a pyramid um, scheme. A pyramid scheme uh, that will finally just persist. Uh, that just continues suffering, grinding onwards. Um, I mean, sometimes being a parent does feel a bit like that. But oh, true, yeah. Uh, presumably, these people don't have any kids. Oh no, uh, I tell you, yeah, I, I, yeah, having um, having having children is a wonderful thing. By the way, just uh, just a joke. Just a joke. <laughs> um, but as uh, Michael Cook wrote in another context, isn't a bioethicist who questions the value of human life itself like a physicist who denies the existence of cause or and effect, or a theologian who denies the existence of God? Mind you, there are quite a few of those. Um, without uh, without an unconditional commitment to the value of human life, a discipline like bioethics is in danger of losing its coherence. Well, not just a little bit, yeah. And the problem is, as, as C.S. Lewis points out at the beginning of Mere Christianity, is that you end up compassless, don't you? If you if you if you're such a nihilist, you can't you can't. There's nothing to see you know there's no how do they know that, that human life isn't rational it's become comes from their own their, their own irrationality is all that they have to bear light upon 
the, the humanity, their own grief and despair and is all that they can see. And they well, end up completely rudderless. There is a sort of consistency to, to it, though. I think that is one of the directions that nihilism can point in logically. I mean, it can logically point to a sort of suicidal despair, can't it? Where you just think, well, I don't believe anything. There's no purpose to life, so I'll just kill myself. And or, or you could or it could be more like a Nietzschean thing where you think, well, actually, if, if there is no meaning to life, there's no purpose, then all I have is the will. And therefore, I'll just exercise my will in whatever way brings me the most pleasure or satisfaction or something like that. That's the Marks and Spencer's version. Yeah, it's the Marks and Spencer's advert. It's very Nietzschean, I think, in that in that regard. Um, but you can see how how in the Marks, I mean, in a serious way, like all the characters in the Marks and Spencer's advert are very lonely, aren't they? They're, they're, it starts with them being in a community and then it ends with them as like isolated individuals who just smashed everything. And with these with these guys, I mean, you know, we should we should pray for these guys because they're clearly like completely. I mean, I agree with you, Daniel. I think they deserve to be locked up, but they're they're clearly very lost individuals. I mean, it's very sad when they come at the end of the video that they sort of sat down in front of the artwork. They both look utterly miserable and devoid of any yeah elan vital as, as the as the article says. And then yeah. the, the 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 lad holds out his hand in a in like quite a pathetic way, and then the 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 girl sort of looks at him and takes it. Me- mechanically and it just looks so it looks so like such a pathetic picture of human community like you've got these two you know spoiled bourgeois uh brats who have just destroyed this work of art and then they're holding hands D- dawkins love child isn't it that is just mm. boil as much as it is woke and again in justin briley podcast there's this bit where he has this moment to interview richard dawkins and asks about despair and the dep- isn't isn't the new atheist thesis just so overwhelmingly depressing mm. and Dawkins just can't get it he just cannot get that why that would be and I suppose the good thing for us the silver lining in all of this is that you know existential despair can lead people to faith can lead people to yeah, Christianity yeah, yeah. you know when you've stared at the heart of darkness um there, there is the possibility then of embracing the light as uh, as an infinitely better alternative. And, you know, perhaps what we might be seeing and are already seeing is, is an opening up of that, you know, mm. um, that um, the light of God does shine through the cloud base. Uh, and there, there are a lot of people out there, I think, who are just absolutely miserable. Mm. And, and I think if you took that... You know, if if you had this as your diet, uh, and you get this from the media and from the school and from the newspapers, uh, from academia, um, that you should have this existential despair hanging over you all the time. Yeah, uh, I, I think you know people there are actually quite ripe for the good news. Yeah, indeed, indeed, Daniel, I agree. Um, listen, we should move on. Tom, I know you, you have to leave quite soon, don't you? Do you want to go now or do you want to stay for a few minutes? Or? Uh, I probably have to go now, actually. I've got a PCC meeting, which is always... That's very important, Tom. Very important. Existential despair. <laughs> Speaking uh, of existential, existential <laughs> despair. Uh, um, well, Tom, um, thank you. Thank you very much, all. Yeah, God bless. And uh, see you all next week. Right. See you, Tom. God bless. Bye-bye. Okay, Daniel, you you okay to just do a couple of emails? Um, just uh, this is mainly feedback from the uh, the Middle Eastern stuff. 
which people may be familiar with. I mean, this has clearly been uh, controversial. Uh, but let's. I'm going to read the two emails out, mm-hmm. shall I? Um, and they're sort of they don't yeah. necessarily contradict each other; just different points of view. So, first one, I think. Um, the first one. Uh, dear Jamie, Tom and Daniel, dark days. You asked for feedback on latest podcasts on the Middle East. So I'm forcing myself to write something first in terms of your approach. I don't think you can do anything other than tell the truth as you see it. In that sense, what anyone thinks about it is irrelevant. For my part, I'm sickened by what happened on October 7th. Humanity hit a new low, first with the atrocities themselves and then with the appalling celebratory protests, even in our country that started before Israel had even started, uh, sorry, even had time to catch its breath. Seriously, who criticizes, Who celebrates baby murder? What context justifies it? And then the scales fell from my eyes. I realized that anti-Semitism is very real. Not being a Jew, I had considered it was a thing of the past, but now I know it is always there, just waiting for an excuse to express itself. Why? Why should this ethnic group, who over the centuries have been amongst the most cultured, most intelligent, most successful, most philanthropic, most, most ethical, most eager to contribute to society, be so vilified? Why are we proud of our Jews and what they have achieved? Um, and then what is wrong with us? Why don't we look to them as examples of how to forge strong familial bonds, how to sustain cultural heritage over millennia, and how to usefully contribute to society? So much of what we claim to value and wish for, they already possess. Maybe that's why people hate them. I remember when I was young, my father said to me, the world is very complicated with lots of moral problems and difficult decisions, but some things are clear. If you find yourself siding with people who put other people in ovens, you are on the wrong side. So that's one. And then I'll just read this. Just This is an extract from a longer email, just a slightly different perspective. Uh, first of all, I agree with you, Jamie. So this is another email here, just to be clear. First of all, I agree with you, Jamie. When you say that atrocious acts of war that horrify us were once the norm, you only have to look at the Romans. Christianity and its legacy sort of made war nicer, i.e. let's give killing each other some rules, When you, uh, which when you think about it doesn't make sense. Death is death. The devil laughs as, as God's children slaughter each other nicely or not. You also write in that the only answer to all of this is a conversion to Jesus. I thought that what Israel should have done after the massacre was to flood Gaza with aid, etc. That would have polaxed Hamas, but that would have been a Christian reaction. And supposedly Christian countries don't do that either. This didn't start on October 7th. There is a festering of decades. I found Phil Sarker's podcast very nuanced and helpful these past weeks. I'm now a total pacifist. I wasn't always. I served in the Air Force, but now I am. For me to kill another who bears the face of God, I can no longer consider that is possibly naive on my part. But should the situation arise, I will, will give it to Jesus and pray that I stand. I think any argument for a just war based on the, presumably that that's meant to say the arguments of Thomas Aquinas and the other man you read out, uh, Augustine and then uh, Grotius, are nonsensical and self-serving. But in all honesty, I'm fairly ignorant of them as the words just and war don't go together in my soul. Jesus said, and it was a command, love your enemies, pray for those who hate you, forgive over and over, turn the other cheek. Uh, leave retaliation to God, I think is quite biblical. I know people say, what about Hitler? If the Christian churches had stood up against him from the start, he would not have been able to do what he did. I'm minded of the film you recommended, I forget the name of, uh, the old Austrian soldier who said no to joining the Nazi party and paid the ultimate price. That's um, Terence Malick film, A Hidden Life. Um, that, I believe, is what everyone who called themselves Christian should have done. Easy from here to say, I know I wasn't under that psyop. I often ask what Jesus would do, and I don't believe for one moment Jesus would entertain the notion of a just war. If we truly believed in what he said, we would have no fear of death and could not be manipulated into acting against his decrees. So there we go, Daniel. It's quite a lot there. Um any response to any of that? Well, it's, it's um, 
I, I think is is isn't it great? It's a sort of such a privilege to be part of these discussions mm. uh, and to see such thoughtfulness. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, I think that this podcast started in 2020, didn't it, in the autumn? Yeah, you yeah. and Tom to begin with, and uh, you know that there is there's been a variety of discussions in the background. Maybe a lot of our Audio listeners are not totally aware that we have telegram groups and what have you, and we've had conferences, and it's been you know a great privilege to lean into that and to to see that and to to see uh, you know hopefully this is you know the case more often than not now a nuanced discussion around this. Mm. Um, so it, I, I mean I have sympathy with both both those letters. And um, uh, what does the Middle East need? Well, yeah, this might sound very um, uh, politically one-dimensional, but you know, I think in the end, the Middle East needs Jesus Christ. You know, because mm. that's all I can offer. I don't have expertise on warfare or Middle East politics. I have some basic understanding, like everybody else. But uh, um, the one Middle Eastern book that I am particularly focused on is. Is the scriptures and um, uh, certainly there is something about. I think we've, I, I, I do feel we've all come to a bit of a, a learning curve in the last few weeks about anti-Semitism, uh, and that that has come much to the fore in a way that should shock us, but doesn't seem to be. Mm. And, and that that for me is highly disturbing yeah um and um i think there's something to be said for what douglas murray has said on trigonometry that you know when you step back and look at the the whole i mean arabia the arab states are not a continent but they're as big as you know you look at the 34 35 countries and then this tiny little state of israel in the middle of it which is a you know, highly successful enterprise uh, in in what is otherwise a series of failed states. Um, there's something to be said for it, it is what we're seeing that you know the politics of envy, which again is a is a deep spiritual trope, isn't it? That um, uh, and that 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 envy, that sense that oh well, the Jews have rigged the system. Uh, perhaps that's been around for millennia more than we'd like to actually acknowledge and we're now seeing that once again come to the fore um, and I suppose it's surprising to see so many people ambivalent to that or garnishing that with um, a lot of um, pro-Palestinian sentiment Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's such a complicated issue, isn't it? And it's hard to know how to sort of summarise what what the sort of you know the different approaches are. Um, there's certainly a sense in which, uh, well, there there are different things, aren't there? There's there's the sort of take which says that this is what happened on October the seventh, and other responses from Hamas and so on are the sort of the outworking of decades of oppression uh, from the Israeli apartheid and so on and so forth. Um, 
there's also and, and you know we should acknowledge this because there are people who are in our sort of um people who listen to podcasts who we don't want to you know we don't want to sort of ridicule or condescend to them but they they think that this is essentially a, these are the this is the sort of machination of a, of a sort of globalist plot to um deceive and divide the world and cause unrest and then sort of promote a sort of globalist solution to this this problem and i don't i mean i don't want to pour scores scorn on that at all i mean that's um that is the way lots of writers have seen the role of the antichrist in in the in the final days is to come and bring peace to an intractable situation like israel and palestine and there through and therefore through that kind of imminent imminent political activism to be hailed as the world's messiah i think that's completely plausible uh, it, that's what happens in um michael o'brien's book um uh, uh father elijah and and the, and the sequel elijah in jerusalem so i don't want to sort of uh, reject reject that out of hand but i also um i find the kind of insistence on a sort of totalizing narrative that says you know that this this one hermeneutical key basically explains absolutely everything about world history and you can't you can't even have an opinion about anything because ultimately it's all just a massive psyop and we're all being deceived i just think that's um i just think things are a lot more complicated than that i have to say i have a lot more sympathy with um somebody like sam harris who i also heard on trigonometry i obviously don't agree with everything he says but um because he's an atheist and he makes ridiculous critiques of christianity but um you know what he says is like we want to sort of impose our Western values on on this situation in terms of um, in terms of Palestine and and um, and so on. And we what we want to say is well, this is about oppression and and the and the need to be liberated, and that's why they're behaving this way. But actually, the reason they're behaving this way is because they're they are fundamentally motivated by the religious ideology of jihad, and they as part of that ide- ideology. They hate the Jews, and killing the Jews is part of part of a holy war. Also, interesting. I don't think I heard him say this, but I think it also counts in the same kind of thing. The whole idea of liberation, and it it comes down to that thing, you know, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. The whole idea of liberation in the West is very, very different from the the idea of liberation that 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 is at play here. Liberation in the West is about being, you know, uh, it's it, well, it comes to us from the Judeo Christian tradition, doesn't it? it? Starts at the Exodus, you know, being liberated from polit- political tyranny. That's not the that's not what's meant by from the river to the sea, pa- Palestine will be free. It means like free of Jews. It means free of the free of the influence of the infidel, you know, Jews and Western people. So it's it's a fundamentally kind of religious thing. So I've got a lot more sympathy with 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 that kind of um reading of the situation that it's a sort of fundamentally uh religious conflict and as such uh, you know i don't think that like war is the answer i don't think war is going to solve the situation uh, the only thing that's going to solve the situation is the conversion of the jews and the muslims to christ i agree with that but having said that i also believe in the concept of a just war and the thing daniel i think relates to what you've said i can't understand the reaction of some people to what's happened you know, Israel has been attacked. There's been a, a terrorist atrocity, um, which has been, I mean, and a real thing, which is actually, you know, it's on film. You can literally watch it. They they filmed it themselves. They've admitted to it. They'll say, they've said, literally, they said the Al-Aqsa flood will happen again and again until we have the we have the land back. So they've admitted to it. There's no, there's no sort of ambiguity as to what happened or who did it or who's responsible. And I don't understand how that has not received just absolutely universal, like blanket condemnation, unambiguous condemnation by everyone in the West. It just, well, it's it just, just... Where, where, where religiously illiterate 
as a culture now. Mm. So the idea of understanding the, the zealousness and the the spiritual aspirations uh, of a culture or a movement that seeks to push from the river to the sea Jewish people out or you know exterminate them. Um, and but you're saying people you, don't understand that, or they do understand that? I don't think they do understand. I don't think they understand that. As you said, we see everything through a Western lens. So we think that what they presumably want, I mean, this is like what happened with Iran, you know, the Shah is booted out and the West kind of thinks, oh, what we're going to have is this great democratic um, secular state. And yeah. within weeks, we've got um, this revolution. This happened in the Arab Spring over, over again. Uh, yeah. and it will In happen, Iraq. It will happen in Iraq, you know. Yeah. Uh, in the uh, the um, the powers that be and the, the religious narrative is not to create a Western democracy. Uh, you know that there are going to be you know queers for Palestine are not going to be having setting up an office in Gaza uh, or Jerusalem anytime soon. <laughs> it's it's just not. Well, they well they're far more likely to be doing that in Israel. Under an yeah. Israeli government, I yeah. suppose. But I mean, Palestinian control. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Or Riyadh, um, uh, and and you know we we have a region in, in in Palestine and Gaza that the rest of the area seems completely disinterested in. I mean, this struck me um, a few weeks ago about this. I don't know if you heard about the um, Saudi plan to build this mega city, mm. right, a trillion dollar mega city. That is one kilometer wide and a hundred long. Right. It's a super duper. It's the brainchild of the crown prince. Yeah. And I mean, they're they're already building the trenches to create this thing that will be this you know, um, eco shangri-la that you know where people will only need to live within a fifteen minute radius. Well, I mean, we've heard that before, um, but this will be a purpose built. Mm. Uh, eco paradise. Uh, now, you know, if you've got a trillion dollars spare, quite frankly, leaving Gaza as a shithole mm. when it's when it's one of your near neighbours, uh, when that real estate could be turned into a fabulous location mm. with investment, uh, to me, is a dereliction of duty. You know. Um, what do you mean on the part of, e.g., Saudi yeah, Arabia? Or, or, or Saudi Arabia, you know, could put their hand in their pocket and give a fraction of the cost yeah. that, it, that is needed to make that mega city could be done in Gaza, could be done in Palestine. The money flowing around to do. I mean, the the, the problem is, is Hamas. The Hamas just uh, yeah. embez, embezzle this money and, and turn no, it I into mean, a weaponry. Yeah, but, I mean, exactly, but. There, there would be nothing to stop the Arab states coming together and basically saying, Hamas, your time's up. All the checks are ripped out, clear out. You know, um, we're coming in and we're going to come in and build a new city. 34 nations can put enough pressure on a city state to change it. Well, there, I don't know. There, you know, they'd, I know they'd, have to, they'd have to destroy it, I think, basically, which is essentially what what we're seeing at the moment well, isn't it so yeah why not let israel do it instead 
uh, and get all the blame for it. But, well, well, I mean, on that on that topic, Daniel, I mean, I think this is something I want to just say really clearly. Like, I am not saying, and I have never said, and I don't think any of us said, have said, that we think that Israel is blameless in the ongoing exactly. conflict between Israel and Palestine. I mean, I, I, at some point, I'm going to do I'm gonna do something. I don't know whether I'll make a special episode or something. I don't know. But I've just read this book, um, Son of Hamas by uh, Mossab Hassan mm. Youssef. You know, he's a Palestinian. You know, he's the son of one of the founders, eldest son of one of the founders of Hamas, who eventually joined the Israelis as a spy, essentially a double agent. Um, even though he, even though he was, you know, Palestinian and the son of Hamas leader, and he details, you know, terrible atrocities that happened to him. You know, he was uh, he was arrested and um, tortured for for months on end by the Israelis. Mm-hmm. So nobody's nobody's saying the Israeli I and mean, the Israelis like killing, you know, killing kids, like killing, just shooting them, like you know, there is there are terrible things that happen uh, on both sides of this. But what I want to say about this current situation, and this does come back to the just war thing, um, is that it's hard to understand what else the state of israel could do since october the 7th they've had they've been attacked it's been it's a terrorist atrocity by a group that's across the border they've invaded their country that want to destroy their whole country that have killed hundreds of their citizens in absolutely brutal ways and that still have 200 of their citizens hostage so you know when um when our friend says you know that israel what they should have done was flood gaza with aid and it would have polaxed Hamas. I'm sorry, but it would not have polaxed Hamas. It would just have given them more resources to wage what the kind of war that they've already been waging on Israel. They would kill more Jews with that money. And that's why, by the way, I said in the last um, episode, which some people objected to, that um, that Israel is under no obligation to supply Gaza with with uh, with food and water and other types of aid because Hamas would just take it and use it for their own war effort. You know, it sounds like a very nice thing to do, but that standard is never, ever applied to any other nation in war. No nation is ever told that they have to supply their enemy with with aid. Why? Why should Israel be told that they have to supply Hamas with aid? I mean, I just I suppose you can understand the sentiment in that. You you, there's an argument that could be made that the um, Gazans, Gazans, is that the right word? Yeah, yeah, Gazans, Um, the Gazans are equally captured by Hamas, that they are yeah, under yeah, the barons, that they have not had the opportunity to vote them out. Um, and so 99% of the population uh, is not that, you know, if they could, would boot them out, but are too terrified to do that. We we don't. I mean, it was interesting. I heard Masab Hassan Youssef uh, in an interview, and he said that the majority of the Palestinians would celebrate if Israel successfully got rid of Hamas. And that, you know, we just have to hope that that's the case. That they that they genuinely do want Hamas out. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know whether that's true or not. It's an it's an empirical claim, isn't it? All I'm all I'm saying is that um, that it's it's a very nice and uh, it's a very nice thing to say. You know, we should we should supply them with aid and we should help them. And so but that the the Hamas are in charge. They will take that aid. They will use it for themselves. They've used all the resources they've got. They've completely ruined Palestine by taking that, but taking the resources from that place and pouring it into their their jihad, essentially. And so they they use Palestinian citizens as human shields. And I think that there is a moral case. uh, There's at least a sort of conceptually plausible moral case for what israel is doing at the moment no. it's, not, it's not to say that I they're mean, doing they're, it perfectly yeah. or a... no but there, there could be a, th- a 3d 
chess um, problem in, in that they could be falling into a trap as a country. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Then, uh, I, I, I totally get what you're saying. You know, the, the, what are the, the alternatives are few and far. Um, but the, the other problem is that going in may so incite every other Arab nation, divide the West yeah. politically, you know, at a point when the West is already distracted by another war, you know, and, and um, give opportunity to the Chinese to think, well, this is a great moment yeah. to yeah. swoop in and get Taiwan at this moment. Um, and um, that, the, that we're all getting a kicking and it's what is the long-term goal, what's going to be achieved on this? Uh, that the medium-term goal, yes, I can understand, but the long-term goal is we, we don't want to end up, do we want to end up in a global conflict? Yeah, yeah of course, yeah. of course not. And there, uh, there are on lots... the plains of Armageddon, which yeah. tend to have sort of biblical um, yeah. resonances that aren't very positive. Yeah, and, and many people have said that the what the what Hamas did on October the 7th was designed to create mm. a stronger reaction as they possibly could because they wanted of Israel course. to kind of fall, fall into this trap. They, they wanted to sort of inflict this psychological wound on Israel so that they would they would provoke them to the greatest response possible. Um, yeah, and I you mean, can I, see how in Iran this would bolster yeah. the leadership, that a failing leadership and a clerical caste that um, are draining the country of its future. This is perfect. This is a perfect opportunity for them to, uh, you know, rally up a cause yeah um dredge out old hatreds and consolidate yeah 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 you know, war war is peace all well said yeah and just on the just on the just war thing as well so our friend here i, I think i can say her name elizabeth says um you know jesus says it was command love your enemies pray for those who hate you forgive over and over turn the other cheek i think that that is precisely the point when we're having a conversation like this um yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Nigel Bigger's book in defense of war, I think, is a really good place to go to read about just war. But um, essentially, the, the Christian justification for war it is, is that when it is a necessity, it's a necessity precisely because it's the only it's the only way to actually act in a loving fashion, given the options that you have. And I, I would say that that's arguably the case here, at least for the for the Israelis own people because firstly they need to defend themselves and secondly the enemy has 200 of its citizens hostage so how is it how is it loving to them to either their own citizens who need to be defended you know bear in mind like you know we're talking about families being slaughtered under the cover of dawn in the most horrendous way you can possibly like babies being put in ovens and things like this so that's firstly you need to defend your people it's not an act of yeah. love to leave them undefended and secondly there are 200 people including children who are literally being held hostage and being tortured by Hamas. Was Israel supposed to be, oh, just have some aid, have some aid, Hamas? You know, it's just, come on, this is not the real world we're living in. That's yeah, not that's not love, but, is it? But, but to be fair to Elizabeth, I think it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's I can understand the sentiment yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I can understand where, where she's coming from on this and, and would have quite a lot of sympathy towards that. I mean, the, again, the other danger is, Israel wins the battle but loses the information war. And we're now in a digital age where, you know, unlike wars in the medieval period or the Second World War or Vietnam, 
we can get our own bespoke versions of this delivered algorithmically to our phones. We can see what we want to see. And how is Israel meant to win that war? Um, uh, And well, I don't think could it be the loss of an information war could do more damage to the to the state of Israel than. than even physical battles, you know, you well, end that, up with a, a zillion sanctions from well, the US put on them. I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know, I don't know whether that's kind of particularly likely in that case, but but I I think that Israel basically can't win, uh, even even if they, I mean, what what can they do? Yeah, so right. they're so their their citizens are murdered in the most brutal way, the most diabolical way you can possibly imagine. They retaliate and then they're blamed for it. So. What, I mean, what what can they do? They they can't they can't win the sympathy of the West. They just or, or, or well, not the West in general, but like these people in the West who will are determined to blame them for absolutely everything. The other thing D- Douglas Murray said, which I think is a good point in this situation, and just to say, you know, I'm not saying everything's, you know, I'm not saying I support Benjamin Netanyahu, the State of Israel, or anything like that. But he does say, like, you know, if you're going to play this card and say, you know, the indigenous people need to have the land. And everyone else can f off. If we're going to play that card, I mean, do you really want to do that? Do you really want to apply that logic consistently in Western nations, for example? I mean, what would that actually mean? What would it mean in England if we if we would say that this country is for the indigenous people and everyone else can just get out? You know, it's 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 you know, it's not to say that it's a completely irrelevant question, but it's not as simple as saying that. You know, there are people who live in Israel who were born in Israel. You can't just tell them to leave because it's their home. You know, that's where they live now. It's 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 not practical no. to say that, to say that. So, and anyway, like well, I said- I think he also said, he also yeah. highlighted that, you know, over three, 4,000 years, part of the Part of the, uh, the suffering of the Jewish people has been that whatever angle they, whatever path they've turned to, whatever thing that they've been challenged that they've met, they've met they've come across this sort of counter challenge and this criticism. Mm. Uh, you know that that you're oh you're the you're the poor people of Europe, and then you become successful. Mm. Well, now you're the you're 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 the puppet masters of the world, you know, and yeah. uh, um, you're you're a people without a country, and we despise you because of that. Oh, now you've got a country. Now we despise you because you have a country. Yeah. You know? and, uh, I I think it, it's such a unique situation in history that it's it's one that's very difficult to get the sort of political maths right. Yeah. And um, I, I suppose all I can go back is that Middle Eastern book, the Holy Scriptures, the, the Old and New Testament, and uh, you know, well, yeah. we, we need the Messiah, we need the Christ. To yeah. uh, um, This has become un, unmanageable yeah. uh, as to how we go forward as a, as a, as a civilization on this. Yeah. Um, we need we need Ephesians too, doesn't it? You know, you know one yeah. new man from Jew and Gentile, one new man from Palestinian and, and Israeli, brought together in Christ through through His blood shed on the cross. Mm. You know, winning forgiveness to, for us, reconciling us to God in in one body, and so on and so forth. And that so think, can't just be a pietistic answer. No, 
But it's the only answer, isn't it? It's the only it's answer. The that's the only answer I have. That, that's what Masab Hassan Youssef himself came to see. And, you know, he converted to Christianity for this reason, because he recognized the teachings of Christ are the answer, you know, to love your enemy, to forgive those who hurt you and everything. That's not to say that I, I think you could just use those verses to cancel all war. I just I don't think that's what they're about. But essentially, that's the only way we can do it is through through mutual forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, just to say, Daniel, I mean, obviously, I feel, you know, when I start talking about this, I, I start to sort of feel quite, I, I guess my feeling is mainly frustration. And, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a flaw in me that, you know, if it comes across like that. So I'm not frustrated with you. I'm frustrated with the concepts we're talking about, I suppose. I'm not frustrated with the people who have written in either. And, you know, what I want to say is that I'm happy, I'm very, very happy to read um, things out about this, which contradict or are different to our viewpoints. You know, email me, irreverendpod at gmail.com. And I'll happily look over them and consider them for the show. But I just like to say that I'd like the communication on this to be, and I applies to myself as well. You know, I like to be respectful and polite. I don't think we need to insult each other. I don't think we need to call each other names to insinuate that, you know, we have bad motives or anything like that. Um, I'm open to a reasonable, uh, rational or theological or logical discussion on this. So, you know, please, and I'm not saying I'm an authority on it either. I'm not an authority. Uh, I, I know what I know. I like, you know, I'd like to know more. I'm interested to hear other people's perspectives. I mean, that's why I read this book because I, you know, I'm seeking to learn and understand more about the situation. So, um, so email us irreverendpod at gmail.com and let's have a reasonable conversation about this. Um, but yeah, let's keep it, let's keep it respectful. Uh, even if it, even if it does at times have to be robust. So I don't know if you think that's fair, Daniel. I, I think we can, but walk in humility in this mm. at this time and in these conversations yeah i think start claiming around that you know um that we might know the whole totality is almost vain mm. yeah yeah and frankly ridiculous yes yes daniel should we finish off with a with a prayer now um, oh i yeah. should oh can i just ask people to support the podcast just before we finish um just to say, if you enjoy this podcast, please do consider supporting us. Uh, we rely on your support to run the podcast. Uh, I need the money as well because I live off a big chunk of it. So uh, really, really appreciate it. If you could if you could think about supporting us, if you uh, support us, you get our free bonus audio podcast, Uncollared, which is us talking about things a little bit more candidly off the record, as it were, just to our patrons. So to support us, please go to reverendpod.com and click on the big red button which says Patreon on it, and you can become a Patreon for as little as £1.50 plus VAT in the UK per month. £1.50 a month is really very, very little, very low bar to get that great bonus audio podcast. We release the, these episodes um, early as well on the dedicated feed. Um, so please do do that because it makes such a difference. So go to our website, reverendpod.com and click on the big red button, support us on Patreon today. After you finish listening to this, just go online and do it, please. If you don't want to sign up to a monthly thing, you can always buy us a coffee. And uh, that's the big yellow button on the on the website, reverendpod.com. But please do consider supporting the podcast. We rely on um, listener support, essentially, to run the podcast, to to meet our costs, to meet uh, to meet um the the cost that i have as well uh so it makes a massive difference and we don't have any advertising or anything like that so we rely on you our listeners um, and our friends so please consider that so thank you very much go on then daniel and we're coming up to remembrance sunday and armistice day uh but if we were in the ordinary liturgy 
um, it would be the third Sunday before Advent. I'm sure that next week we'll have um, some things to say about the contentious issues around remembrance. Um, anyway, this third Sunday before Advent collect seems very apposite for all that we've talked about. I don't know about you, Jamie, but I find at the moment that many of the readings uh, and the prayers really sort of are cutting to the heart, you know, because mm. uh, the origins of our scripture go to the Hebrew people, to Israel, to Christ himself. Mm. Uh, and um, uh, th- this prayer, I think, is is rather brilliant in its in what it's asking of God at this and is very relevant to this time. Let us pray. Almighty Father, whose will is to restore all things in your beloved Son, the King of all, govern the hearts and minds of those in authority and bring the families of the nations divided and torn apart by the ravages of sin to be subject to his just and gentle rule. We make this prayer through him who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. Very good, Daniel. That's a lovely prayer. Okay, then. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Daniel, as always. Um, Great contributions as ever. And until next week, keep watch. Take care. (laughs) Faith. Oh, I've messed it up. I've messed it up.